0: Welcome back to the part two of this Conspiratus episode. We're gonna pick up exactly where we left off last time.
1: And to ask your opinion on another thing,
0: mm-hmm.
1: are you are you similarly pro uh, Ethereum fund recovery or no? Specifically in the, the the parody case.
0: I'm pretty ambivalent on the on the uh, parody case. I mean, you know my opinion on the DAO attack uh the dow recovery right like i I, i'm pretty against the dow recovery because i thought it breaks the uh social consensus on what ethereum is the social contract on what ethereum is and on what the dow
1: was um specifically are we talking about the phrase code is law
0: hashtag code is law so as, what, I, as, as, well, as, as well as one other part, where in the terms of agreement of the DAO, it actually also said that the DAO will be governed by the code and nothing else. So I think when people contributed to the DAO, they were agreeing to those terms.
1: So first of all, to push back, we both know, sure as hell, that neither of us have ever read a single goddamn terms of service in our life, <laughs> no matter whether it's the DAO or not. I um, think when you're deal- when you're
0: interacting with a brand new type of entity like this, you probably should
1: read the term. So, the did you... Um, I didn't contribute to the DAO. You did. No, sure. But I, I, yeah, uh, you know, my conflicts of interest were massive. My first, <laughs> my first ever $10 Ethereum was locked up in there. It was... I was too conflicted. That... How much is
0: that $10 of Ethereum worth now, though?
1: Yeah, that's fair. That's a fair point. <laughs> In DAO tokens, it's worth nothing. So let's say that. <laughs> I don't even know. I actually don't know if I've ever reclaimed it because back then it was worth $10. And I was like, oh, whatever. It's too much effort. And now I'm like, oh, my God, I should go get that. You can. But... I, I, so I did an Epicenter episode with uh, Griff Green
0: from oh, Gibbeth. Cool.
1: And he was like part of the
0: DAO white hat team and stuff. And so he actually mentioned that, like, you know, there's every, even today, they're still constantly giving out uh, funds from the DAO. Sure. Yeah. You still yeah.
1: Go claim them. Um, but I was going to say so, like, I don't know about you, but I, even when I'm interacting with a new legal entity, like you know, when I sign things, most of the time, I'll be honest, I don't read them too explicitly, mm-hmm. and I also wonder, like, at least for me, um, given the DAO was in some sense my first interactions with all this blockchain stuff, but it always seemed to me like the whole social contract was not so explicitly stated, like. Mm-hmm. B- So if I asked you to characterize Bitcoin's social contract in one sentence, but I had asked you to do that in 2016, what would you have said? Mm -hmm. Like down with the banks. Uh,
0: Digital gold, 21 million hard cap. That's like this, like this, like very Austrian economics, like approach, and that's like the the vision of Bitcoin. That's what the social contract is. Okay, fair enough. And so I actually had this argument on Twitter before, where I think that the Dow recovery broke. Ethereum social contract, which was Coda's law, while Bitcoin's reversion of the minting, like, you know how I printed like a billion Bitcoin or something? Yeah. I think that broke Bitcoin's social contract, which made it more legitimate to reverse that.
1: Oh, interesting. So, so there's this idea of uh, uh, blockchain or cryptocurrency having a social contract, and hard forks, the only hard forks that are bad are the ones that explicitly kind of break the social contract that this has. So I guess... Okay, I will say in the Ethereum case, the code is law thing kind of was plastered everywhere. So it doesn't really sound great. But I bet you in the future, as these things kind of become more general use and used by a lot of people, it's going to be a lot yeah. harder to say, you know, the Ethereum blockchain is for code is law. Oh, you know so I mean?
0: that, that's why that's why now I'm much more ambivalent about the parity situation. Because now I'm like, all right, well, you know, that original social contract of Ethereum, we just threw it out the window with the DAO recovery. I'm not quite sure what the new social contract is. But, you know, it seems that we're much more... Open to or at least parity, more like, recovery like this, and I actually, you know what, I, I I'll say, I actually, yeah, exactly, and I think, I, you know, I'll, I'll admit, I'm actually probably leaning more towards that. Yeah, let's recover those funds, I guess. But yeah. If you enough. if you don't want recovery, then you know, go to Ethereum Classic, which is dope because I want more people to use Ethereum Classic.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see. So, um, we were just talking about how like understanding whether or not hard forks are good in some sense for a blockchain relates to what the like kind of agreed upon social contract of said blockchain is um but i the one thing i would add on is that one thing that gives me pause about the parity hard fork the parity fund recovery is the fact that it is parity and that's not because i hate parity it's just that it's very clear that the amount of influence that parity has over the ecosystem is like significantly more than you know jim joe and jill who lost their funds in because of reason x y and z right so My concern is that, um, in some sense, by supporting this hard fork, we kind of implicitly disenfranchise these small people who don't have access to, you know, the social mass and capital. Mass of power. Yeah. Essentially.
0: Yeah. I mean, but you, you know, you could think of it one way that it's the parody team, but it's also, you know, if you want to take it much more objective viewpoint, it is the largest amount of funds that is lost in a single attack.
1: That's fair. No. Yeah. It's, a, it's certainly, you know, it's certainly a, a large sum of of. Uh, of money and it, and it and it's not it's not only it's like there are also other people other than the parody team who have lost funds right, in the attack right, as right. well.
0: Technically, the parody team never lost any funds. It's the Web3 team that lost funds.
1: My bad. Yeah. yeah the, the the overlap is un, undefined at least from the outside. So, so yeah. excuse my confusion. But
0: another thing though about that, I think kind of what makes people a little bit more annoyed about it, like that that contributes to the metagame, is that people are kind of annoyed that parody ha- had a hack on that same wallet contract four months prior. And they said they got it fixed and audited. And then another attack happened. And I think that's kind of... It's kind of like... I don't know. I really think that... It just sucks.
1: you got to imagine, for the people who wrote that code, it really must have just been a bad day. It was just like probably very upsetting.
0: Yeah. And I have a... You know, to your point about like whether parody social capital is helping in this situation i think it might actually be hurting them more than helping them i think that there's some level of like vendetta or you know wanting to make parody feel the pain like the, I, yeah I, I feel like the fact that it's parody might actually be hurting them more than it's helping them
1: yeah i mean i think that's something that i like can be observed more generally in the the crypto space like a yeah. general idea of oh you screwed up like Get screwed, pretty much. Um, What do you think about this idea that it's also
0: a, like, you know, in order to screw over Polkadot?
1: Oh, interesting. So, the Ethereum community in general is not supporting the fund recovery because it screws over Polkadot by limiting their funds? Yes. Interesting. Um, To be totally honest with you, I, I doubt it only because it's, like, two steps of thought, and I doubt... I mean there definitely are people thinking very deeply yeah. about the fund recovery but it mm-hmm. seems like the community in general is pushing back against it and mm-hmm. I would say for most people it's they probably aren't saying oh you know web3 oh it's parody web3 okay mm-hmm. we're stopping polka dot. Have,
0: have you were you following along with the whole Afraid drama and stuff?
1: Not super closely. I know there was I know so yeah, I would say that in general the like conflict of interest discussion uh and the conversation around AFRI, uh, and all that stuff. And like mm-hmm. essentially the relationship between Ethereum and parity that's come to the forefront through web three and like all of these things is like, it's, it's worrying a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's worrying. It doesn't seem great for the culture of, of either system. Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
0: so this is, kind of, I mean, I kind of, you know, have been saying this for a long time. Uh, I never had anything against AFRI. I actually didn't know him. Uh, I met him actually, we judged together at uh, ETH Paris, which is cool. He was a cool guy. I enjoyed hanging out with him. But in general, you know, for a while, I've been kind of, like, pushing this idea that, look, you know, if I'm going to take the cynical viewpoint here, right, if Polkadot and Ethereum 2.0 are, like, direct, direct competitors, right, uh, then, you know... Parity is also the largest, one of the main developers of Ethereum. And, you know, from, from their viewpoint, it's, it's in their interest to grind their feet and, like, so, grind, like, Ethereum develop, 2.0 development to a halt in order to make sure Polkadot launches first. And yeah. I, I think the Ethereum community realized this. And that's why now there's so many new clients being developed for ETH 2.0 to get rid of the control that any single client developer has over uh, the roadmap of the Ethereum project.
1: So, quick thought. Um, I will say that is that is quite a cynical view. Um, in some sense, I think parody like has demonstrated multiple times that like it really is a valuable asset to the Ethereum community. Uh, I agree. Yeah. I mean, it's their clients. Great. Rust mm-hmm. is cool. I mean, it's great. Um, but at the same time, it's, I personally yeah, run Parity, I mean, By the way, it, cool. Nice. That's a real. You're real conflicted now. I don't know if we can trust you. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So it's 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 not. I, I see where you're coming from. I would imagine that that probably, if it, it, it is a thing at all, it's probably not an explicit thing, but rather, you know, they're fo- the developers are focusing more on Polkadot than they would be on the Ethereum. I, mean, I it might be a subconscious thing.
0: I mean, I, you know, also I know like the way Parity is structured, like the, the teams that are developing Polkadot is like, completely separate than oh, the teams that's developing okay. Parity Ethereum.
1: Fair enough then. Yeah, fair enough. But I will say, here's a question for you. Uh, is more clients necessarily, does that necessarily mean that, uh, like this whole, like one client client having power over the roadmap, um, does that mean that disappears? Because in some sense, the way we see the core dev calls kind of come out today, the way okay. these things, you know, when I watch them, how I see them express is it's very much like a, um, if someone says no, then everyone kind of hesitates and it gets pushed back down the line, right? So it might be the case that more clients might lead to more people having the ability to kind of say no to the roadmap or kind of slow things down, at least Mm -hmm. if that's what we're talking about.
0: So you're saying it has like 100% fault tolerance? or 0% fault tolerance.
1: 0% fault tolerance in some sense. Yeah. Because it seems like as of now, because there aren't very formal structures, anyone giving a serious amount of pushback can essentially, you know, kick something to the next hard fork, at least in the case of like Ethereum one upgrades. Um, And in that case, if we have 10 clients, you know, and you know, 10 different people have the ability to kind of, you know, kick the, kick the bucket down the road, um, which might not be great.
0: Hmm. Okay. Uh, I see. That's an interesting viewpoint. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, I've asked this question to, uh, Justin Drake and he got, he gave me an answer. I don't know if he wants that answer to be public or not, but the question I asked was how many clients have to be
1: ready in order to, Oh, that's a good question.
0: Yeah. Out of these 10 client implementations for, like phase zero of E 2.0, how many need to be ready for us to activate uh, E 2.0, phase zero?
1: Yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. I imagine what they'll do is they'll, we'll, you know, set a date for launch and say to the client, people like, you know, you better get ready, hurry up. And I, hopefully it'll be a conservative number, but. What if only the one for?
0: client is ready by then?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we would probably I, I imagine that the community would probably agree to delay it in that case. But uh okay. that would be a that would be a I I would say non-auspicious launch of the ETH 2.0 chain. <laughs> um yeah, so in this conversation about um parity's relationship to Ethereum and this pushback against moderators and in some sense against Afri, um people, you know, core developers of Ethereum clearly are open and willing to speak out against The problems of ethereum i think in a way that you don't see with a lot of other blockchain projects like you know personally i've never seen a tron developer saying oh here's why tron sucks um and i was i was wondering what you think about like you know core developers speaking out negatively against uh the project they work on well and the community they work with i guess we should say because it's not like afri was like oh you know the ethereum project specifically sucks it was more so the community has caused me to want to take some time
0: yes and, but you keep in mind, That was triggered by him saying that Polkadot will be better than ETH 2.0, or, or Polkadot does everything ETH 2.0 is meant to, or something like that. Fair enough. Um, and to your point that it's okay for Ethereum developers to say that. I mean, I don't know. Afri was kind of pushed out of the community for doing that. It seems Lane is also uh, kind of being pushed out as well for similar reasons. I know he, or at was, least facing resistance. Let's say facing high amounts of yeah resistance and. I think part of the issue with Afries was that, like, you know, he kind of just, like, kind of, I don't know, maybe was trying to be a little bit edgy there and kind of just, like, said that outright. At least with Lane, I, like, actually, you know, I really liked the threads that he wrote that kind of, like, garnered a lot of controversy. Uh, and people are like, oh, he called himself the Buddha. But, like, no, if you read the tweet, he's actually, it's more, it's, more, it's not quite like that. It was more nuanced than himself calling himself the Buddha. Um <laughs> But yeah, so I don't know. I mean, there is some, obviously, there is some resistance to that in the uh, Ethereum community as well. Uh, That being said, you know, I I think you're right. I think the Ethereum community definitely does make it easier for people. You know, we definitely do see more conflicting opinions out in the public than you would maybe see on other projects.
1: In some sense, I don't. I like, I think it's really valuable, right, for core developers to be able to express their opinions. Because personally, whenever I like talk to core developers of a project, they tell me, you know, 10 new things that I've never heard before. They're like, oh, this sucks for reason X, Y, and Z. I actually wrote the code. Here's why it's horrible, right? Yeah. Um, and so it's it's quite valuable to hear those opinions. But at the same time, it's at least from watching them speak publicly on Twitter it's not so clear that that type of expression yeah. leads to positive public discourse. I'm not sure if Lane claiming, you know, Ethereum governance is broken actually in any way improves Ethereum governance, right? Sure. So sure. it might be the case that, uh, like, if these things are better suited for different channels than they're currently being expressed on. That's why right, that, That's right. I mean, that's
0: why this podcast is cool, right? Because I just spent, like, the first 20 minutes just talking about, like, some of my dissatisfactions of how the Cosmos Hard Fork went, which, you know, it would have been really hard for me to express that. I mean, I tried to express it over Telegram and stuff and some of the channels there, but, like, you know, I think this was way better than me expressing
1: it over Twitter. For, totally, yeah. No, it's 140 characters, 280 characters, I should say, is not, you know, it's not a ton of space. Even with a thread, it's not best for consumption. Exactly, yeah.
0: Um, how do people, have, actually, honestly, you know, 280 characters is like, it feels so normal now. I don't remember how any of us got by in the one forty character days. <laughs>
1: Dude. Only abbreviations. Never have a full word in your tweet. Actually, you know, I got I to gotta tweet more. You've cultivated a real Twitter following over the last year. I've watched you blossom from a, a young lad on Twitter <laughs> to a, a real following. I'm jealous.
0: Uh, I, I've been trying to, like, tone down the crypto Twitter lately, and, mm-hmm. and I, I've been doing a lot more just, like, geography twitter i guess <laughs> geography facts
1: which uh, the question is where are you getting them and the answer is there's definitely one list you're pulling from online <laughs> and like realistically if you tweeted that we'd all be better off
0: <laughs> no it's, it's com- mostly a combination of reddit uh there's this one you're, you're right there's this one reddit thread that has like a bunch uh a bunch of youtube channels uh i have this like Uh, post on my personal blog that has like a list of really cool youtube channels and then i was also in my high school's uh geography club so kind of just know a few
1: things very cool (laughs) can i can i ask what a geography club in high school does we participate in geography bees that's actually sick (laughs) i was imagining people just looking at a map and going oh look at that that's a place
0: (laughs) uh there's a little bit of that (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it was a a fun it it was a fun club yeah so back to what we were talking about uh, control over Ethereum. Someone pointed out this interesting thing to me uh, a couple of months ago, I guess at like ETC, where you know I was tra- we were t- talking about like how how much control the Ethereum Foundation has over like you know their control of the trademark and whatnot, which I think is pretty high. Seemingly not so enforced though. Yes, that's correct. Um, but you know, given that. Someone, What the guy pointed out to me was... You know who really has a lot of control over Ethereum? Is... Grun Christensen and his buddies. Basically... Or I don't know how much buddies there are right now, like, if you've you read... Sorry, through, and like, to clarify,
1: Rune Christensen is Maker? Yes. Man?
0: Yes. The founder of MakerDAO. And the reason I you know, I don't know if you've read all of the drama that's going on inside of MakerDAO right now, so I don't know how close he is with his buddies, per se, but, you know, the MakerDAO community in general. And so the reason is, you know, if you buy this narrative that, you know, ETH's main use case right now is this whole DeFi stuff, right? And DAI is sort of like the centerpiece of the of this whole thing, right? Like if you look at, you know, the, the, the largest trading pair on Uniswap is DAI to ETH right now. If you, you know, the I think the most commonly used thing in Compound is DAI. And so, you know, DAI is sort of the centerpiece of this. And let's say there's a contentious fork, right, on Ethereum. Uh, let's say it's, you know, Parity decides to hard fork and says, we want our funds back that bad. By the way, this was actually a, a legitimate proposal back in the at one point. Um, mm-hmm. at, actually, at the time, at during ECC, and so it was like, okay, let's say there's this is fork, um, and you know, you know who gets to decide? What if the maker holders decide to stop running the price oracle on one of the chains?
1: So they essentially have a scorched earth policy. They they burn yeah. their DAP on one chain. Yes. Wow, that's. A dark vision of the future. So, <laughs> here's the claim, pretty much: any DAP that has two things sufficient influence over, like sufficient influence in general in the community, aka it's yep. used in a lot of other protocols. So, and, I, and another, sorry, another example might be an identity protocol or something, an identity DAO or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so, sufficient influence and also control, like people who are in control there um, can essentially dictate hard forks by scorching their... burning the hell out of their daps on one chain.
0: And part of the issue with this is the fact that... You know, here's a, here's one of the things... People are always so excited about Dai. You know what I don't understand? How the hell is MKR distributed? No one has given me, like, a good, solid answer of, like, how that thing was distributed. Initially? Yeah, who owns it? Like, it's like the Maker Foundation and a couple of VCs. Like, why are people so, like... It's putting so much money on this thing. It's like not I did not I actually did not
1: know that. I thought I actually thought they had a token sale. I did not know that. There,
0: there was. was never a token sale. Oh
1: wow. Well, that's crazy. Is it is it, it's is it traded anywhere? Like I'm assuming it's traded on decentralized exchanges, but is it traded anywhere? Do you know? I don't know. Interesting. Wow that's crazy. Yeah, and that and I would say that's makes the whole situation even more concerning. Like
0: I I imagine not, it has to be traded on centralized exchanges because I know it's pretty high up on coin market cap.
1: Fair enough. Yeah, that makes sense. So I guess I guess though I will say the fact that it wasn't initially distributed using some, let's say, more open mechanism than the, the thing you've presented, yeah. makes the whole control over Ethereum hard forks concerning. So yeah. here's a question for you: and I'm pretty
0: sure the Maker Foundation still controls the vast majority.
1: Well, do you do you know? Is it doesn't seem like it's possible to build a smart contract platform that doesn't give smart contracts this ability though. You know what I mean? Like in any case, so let me rephrase that. There are certain smart contracts where no one can do anything to scorch the earth, right? Like, um, uh, I can't think of it. A a good example might be something where, like, an escrow. There's nothing you can do to ruin an escrow. Like, Mm -hmm. it's locked up. It's going to pay out in six months, whatever. There's nothing you can do to burn it. Mm -hmm. But in any smart contract where there necessarily is some way to scorch the earth, Mm -hmm. um, it seems like if these things get big, they're going to be able to control the future of these chains.
0: you know why I'm smiling? Why? I mean, you know, there is a certain, I think, design pattern for the blockchain ecosystem that I think helps get around this problem. Oh,
1: no. <laughs> it's no, not right. multiple chains, is it?
0: Yeah. I didn't dig myself multiple into a hole, chi- did I? <laughs> multiple chains that all connect to each other and every application is on its own little chain. and So it only that community has control over that chain, but not over this large empire ecosystem.
1: It's cosmos so <laughs> just to really hammer it in there in case everyone didn't get it. So let me let me let's see, let's let's walk through this. So um on the cosmos thing, let's imagine well so what would be the equivalent of a of a hard fork that they get to determine control over? Oh shit. So I guess so oh, so
0: wait. so my point is that maker so okay, so let's say makerDAO was on its own chain, right? Yes. And this other chain is splitting because of some conflict that's happening in its own little world, right? Yeah, the MakerDAO chain doesn't have any like excess influence over like what which of these chains happens, and then because IBC is permissionless, the dye that MakerDAO is in charge of still can flow into both these chains. Equivalent. So
1: that's that's so this this I will push back against. This is where I see it not necessarily being the case. Imagine for okay. example that the cosmo one of the a Cosmos Hub forks. Okay. Yeah. And Maker says we're going to go with one. Co-, and um, this doesn't actually work. Would there? So I guess my question is: Would there be a way to essentially block, make for Maker to blacklist which IBC these things go to? Uh,
0: no, because once let's say Maker sends some, um, so let's say Maker only goes to one co- one hub, but then someone can set up a connection from that hub to the other hub now. The which idea is be- IBC should be permissionless. Should be so even so, even so even if so, one chain is blocking IBC connections to another chain, if you can get around it by going to another through another chain, right? It's adding an extra layer, like trust in that connector chain. But yes, you can bypass that chain still. It's kind of like how it's making it's like doing stuff on a second layer network without because then that you can't. You see what I mean?
1: Yeah, you can't you can't stop it necessarily on the first layer. It's hard to blacklist because yeah. there are you know sneaky ways around it. Okay. Um... Fair, fair point. Fair point. I hear you. Um, I'm not totally convinced that it's impossible to... I'm not saying
0: it's impossible. All I'm saying is that it it segments governance issues to the communities that it directly affects and minimizes or helps minimize the control that non-relevant parties have over the direction of...
1: of Of your debt. Yes, so, so here is the trade-off that you are presenting that I guess I have never really thought about about the different chain thing. I've always thought of the ability of um, a single app to essentially fork itself without any effect on anybody else um, as being bad in many cases because um, you could imagine, like, if maker people were nefarious in general, they could burn everything and that would ruin the, you know, this. Sp- the whole maker ecosystem as it spreads to other chains. Right. And that's not necessarily possible on Ethereum in the same way you mm-hmm. could obviously those people could vote to ruin it, but they couldn't hard fork to ruin it in the same mm-hmm. way. Um, but at the same time, the thing that this enables is um, it, the thing that this stops is people or dApps from getting undue influence over the entire governance process as a whole and controlling essentially the future of the blockchain itself. hmm yeah, that's a very fair point. I've actually never thought of that. That's uh, super interesting. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Is that something that you have thought of explicitly before, or is that something that you realize through this conversation?
0: No, this, I mean, like, this has always been the main premise of Cosmos, right? Like, interesting. I've been ah, saying this for, for a while, right? Like, you know, Ethereum is an empire, and Cosmos is a world of nation-states. In the Roman Empire, the Itali- the people... In the Roman Empire, it was the people of the Italian peninsula who are considered Roman citizens, and everyone else is considered Roman subjects, right? And the people of the Italian peninsula have undue control over the ongoing of the entire empire. Cosmos is a world of nation states where it says, no, let's not have these empires which have, like, try to push everyone into this, like, common uh, political framework, right? Let's allow different... Sovereign entities to have their own governance and control over their own future, and but still allow that economic connectivity. This has always been. I think. I, I think Cosmos. You know, it's always been somewhat. It's prim, the difference between you know Cosmos and Ethereum. Both work on scalability, like whether it's the sharding or. I think the main difference here is it's Cosmos is. I think primarily a governance based. It, 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 it's supposed to be affixed to the governance issues of the blockchain ecosystem that we saw in Ethereum. So you know how in the uh, Bitcoin uh, Genesis block, Satoshi put the, uh, uh, the the headline from the Times that day, which was Chancellor on break of second bailout for banks. In the Cosmos uh, Genesis SICA, we put in our Genesis transaction, which like bonds us as a validator, we put the, uh, the Times headline from that day, which is, Brexit vote must be put on hold. MPs warn May. And, oh, wow. and so it was really cool. It's like we were so happy that it's like, oh, what a perfect thing for that day. Because, you know, we saw it as like, you know, Bitcoin is this like revolution in finance and like monetary policy. And to us, Cosmos really is supposed to be this like opening up a new paradigm for how governance
1: is done. So real quick, I want to push back a bit because so this, this argument you made about um, stopping certain dApps from having undue influence over the empire, let's say. Um, is mm-hmm. one thing. Mm-hmm. And the multi-chain model seems to solve that in some sense. Obviously, it needs more explanation, but it, as a first glance, it seems to solve that in many ways. But that doesn't necessarily mean that governance needs to be solved in terms of this kind of very formalized voting power, you know, the top 100 validators or validators decide everything. So it's not at all clear that those two things are tied together or really should be. Yeah. So I hear your first point. I'll push back on the second.
0: Oh, so yeah, so of course. So Cosmos as a vision is somewhat distinct from the Cosmos hub as a vision, right? The Cosmos project is just saying, oh, many chains that are connected to each other. There can be many different hubs. And the Cosmos hub is just one hub that is competing in this thing and it's providing a specific service and a specific philosophy that maybe people like and choose to go along with or maybe they don't and if not they can go to a different hub in the ecosystem and there are already multiple hubs in the cosmos ecosystem so you can buy into this multi-chain system but you don't necessarily have to buy into the fact that oh governance needs to be done by stakeholder voting or whatnot
1: fair enough cool well, I'm going to spend the next period of time before our next podcast thinking thinking more deeply about like influence apps have over the hard forking process and how the, the multi-chain architecture changes that. But that's a really interesting point. So cool. thanks. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I
0: think we're pushing up on quite a bit of time now. Uh,
1: sure. Anything you want to end with? Um, thanks to all our dedicated listeners. You know, we're really uh, sticking through thick and thin Usually thin, apparently, with the uh, podcast coverage, but uh, we're getting back into it. And we're, you know, as you can tell, we're having a ton of fun. So
0: cool. Cheers. All right. See you. Bye.
1: Peace out.